Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. It is part two of our films of 1990, or is it part three? Shit, I don't even know anymore. Where am I? Who am I? What am I even doing here? Hi, I'm Michael, the crazy I'm lost one. Daisy. <laughs> and Jacob's <laughs> on the other side. He's the slightly less crazy one. <laughs> yeah, I will admit I am lost, dazed, confused, bewildered, and betrayed. For I don't know that. Um, I so I on. think I think this is part three because uh, you and I did six movies for the first one, then four. Uh, my friend John picked up, and then we're doing four now. And I think that's the way the pattern should be from now on. We're gonna do four movies per episode, uh, unless we have one straggler. We're not gonna do like one episode, one movie. Uh, so movie five. But uh, for this episode, we're gonna be discussing Air America, Gremlins two, My Blue Heaven, and Quick Change. Three of the four, uh, no one ever talks about, and all four tanked. Can you believe that all four of these lost serious money? Oh, wow. Well, I mean, definitely, um, I would definitely say that with uh, Air America because, honestly, I, I mean, uh, I, there, there was a good idea and concept behind it, you know, uh, two pilots, almost seemingly like a buddy movie uh, during Vietnam, you know, uh, end up, uh, being smugglers for a particular uh, Vietnamese general. Yeah, but not yeah. knowing it at first. But this, you know, Mel Gibson is first build. He's the first one on the poster. I'm telling you right now, he probably showed up for two weeks of work. Because this is Robert Downey Jr.'s show. He's almost in every single scene, whereas Mel's only really in three parts. Yeah, that's what I was about to mention, too. Yeah, it definitely felt more like Robert Downey's uh, the main character. You know, from losing his license, you know, being a reporter in L.A., especially after, you know, flying a helicopter right in front of that freaking... Uh, crashed big rig. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Oh man, and then just taunting the guy. Yeah, but, it's it's his story. It's, yeah. It's him about yeah, like losing his job and his only way of getting hired is uh, going overseas to help with this company called Air America, which delivers uh, goods to uh, villages that are suffering because of the Vietnam War, and they're kind of on the outskirts, and nobody nobody talks about them because they're supposed to be a secret. Uh, you know, Nixon says we're not in this area; that they don't work for us. They're a private contractor basically and of course um that's established once you uh they meet a particular senator played by oh gosh i keep forgetting his name uh i oh, remember him from mighty ducks he played right, uh, and he was Coach on Riley. uh lois and clark as their uh their boss as perry um i can't remember his name all of a sudden but he's just one of those characters you definitely know uh yeah and and so He's there investigating to see if they're up to the shenanigans, and they are, but Robert Downey Jr. doesn't know it. But they're transporting uh, drugs for the local general, and they trade off. Like, they give them supplies and, and vehicles or whatever, and they do the they do the transport of drugs for them. And Robert Downey Jr. is like, fuck this shit. I'm not taking part of this. And that's when things go haywire. Yes, and they end up turning him into the fall guy. And as far as it goes for, like, freaking Mel Gibson, he was just the kind of the guy who was just like, kept his head down and just like you know wanted to make money because he did have a wife and kid a wife and some children in vietnam as well and he wanted to look at of course because he had something to uh look out for right to keep quiet but yeah. thankfully through robert downey jr he was able to get his heart back and they end up helping and you know uh what's the right word i'm looking for Evacuating. Right. They're, Evacuating they're, they're now and refugees. And Nancy Travis is the third star, and she's the one that's working with uh, the refugees and the, the villagers that are suffering. Um, and it's a, it's a big cast of like, hey, I know that guy kind of face like Tim Thomerson and uh, 
Uh, I forgot his name. He just passed away. He played Babe in uh, The Sandlot. Art LaFleur. Um, yes. Yeah, and uh, it's just like one of these movies where I, the, all the money was probably spent getting Mel. They probably paid him out the butt to just get him for a few weeks of shooting. And uh, he cut off his hair, at least. He didn't have that shitty mullet that he had in Bird and a Wire, which came out like two weeks prior to this. But this came out against a bunch of action movies. It was just hard to compete, and it was kind of a... It's not a big movie. I, I like the, the storyline, especially since it's based on a true story, but it's not... In the summer of 1990, you're looking at Die Hard 2, Total Recall, Robocop 2, Gremlins 2. You know, It's big sequel town and big sci-fi visions. Uh, Back to the Future 3. Air America just didn't uh, stand a chance. Yeah, I know. That was bad release timing on their part. That yeah. was definitely... Um... And honestly, yeah, it could. I really, I felt like it couldn't find its tone on what it wanted to do. I mean, again, I like the subject matter, but yeah. as to like what kind of movie it is, I'm just like, I just wasn't sure. The stunts are crazy. But, oh gosh. Some of those. Oh, are like air dropping everything out of there. Well, there's the one where he crashes into the other plane. The plane, the plane that he crashed earlier in the movie, he has to crash his plane into that plane and hide. That's a crazy idea. <laughs> God yes no oh jeez I almost forgot about that scene yeah or 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 they had to smash through the windows of the upside down helicopter because they're gonna get taken out by snipers and <laughs> so I thought there's some good stunt work in there but here's the thing is that the movie was originally set up with a different director and he wrote that movie and then someone else came in to direct it and I think that's where the tonal problems come from ah okay now that makes sense yeah um, now Rod I know why I was so confused. <laughs> Um, I think that's an underappreciated film um, that needs more exposure. Now, the one that I think found an audience at the time, it was a disappointment. But I saw it in theaters and I supported it. It's Gremlins 2, the new batch. Um, oh my god, yes. I know people who hate this movie because it, it kind of pokes fun at the first movie. It's not really scary. It is just a Looney Tunes cartoon, just in many ways unhinged. Uh, from the opening sequence, where you actually have the Looney Tunes fighting with each other with the opening logo... To all the references to pop culture, the references to itself. I mean, Leonard Maltin is doing a review of the first movie in the movie. <laughs> That's so crazy. And then he gets attacked by gremlins. <laughs> now, have you seen both middle sequences where uh, Hulk Hogan comes in to continue the film? And then on video, it was John Wayne continuing the movie on, on VHS tape. Yes, that I was about to mention. Yeah, so in the theaters we had Hulk Hogan come up. Uh, he, he he acts like he's in the movie or whatever in the movie theater, and he comes up and yells at the projector screen. He's like, "Hey, you little green man, you get up there and you put that movie together, or I'm gonna come there and beat your butt." Whatever, and then the movie starts <laughs> again. Whereas this one, John Wayne comes around or whatever, and he's taking out like <laughs> the bad gremlins. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just absolutely loved its chaos. I mean, again, the. Um... Just the design of the Gremlins itself. They all look very different and uh, a lot more detailed. Yeah, well, Chris Wallace was on the first movie. And and he developed the look of the Gremlins. And then he was too busy directing The Fly 2 to work on Gremlins 2. So they got mm. Rick Baker. And I love Chris Wallace, but Rick Baker is, I think, a better special effects guy. And he was able to have free reign. That's why he took the job. Is they said, you redesign them any way you want. We have all these crazy characters for you to do because now we have that scene with the whole experimental stuff. So what do we have? We have a bat one. Oh, yes. A spider one, a brain one, electricity one, a female. Um, yes, any, that's right. Are there any other gimmick ones? I'm trying to remember. 
There was the one turning into vegetables every time it was burping. Yeah, that one's funny. Um, and of course we have Lenny and uh, uh, whatever the one that looks like Edward G. Robinson in the beginning. I think all those gremlins are so cool. I had all those little figures when I was a kid. Um, I, I think I like gremlins too better than one. Just because I'm a chaotic wild and crazy person i appreciate the first one greatly but that second one just does it for me yeah i definitely grew up more on the second one than i did the first one uh but again i just loved uh how uh wasn't ted turner like in charge of warner brothers at the time he um let me see if i remember correctly i think he was uh he was trying at that time i think to to sell his part off and he was gonna become turner Turner Entertainment or something like that. He was going to distribute through Warner Brothers. I can't remember. But yeah, Daniel Clamp is a parody of Ted Turner and Donald Trump. Oh, God, yes. But, of course, this one actually does stuff and gets his hands dirty. Yeah. Other than <laughs> other than the latter. <laughs> my, uh, my grandfather took us to see this. Uh, to this day, I have no idea how we convinced him because he hates these kind of movies. And when the gremlin gets stuffed into the paper shredder, he almost walked out. He was like, that is disgusting. What were they thinking? And we were laughing our asses off. And I don't know, just oh, it, it really triggered something for me as a 13-year-old. And, and I think it's funny is I still remember the two trailers I saw with this. Uh, one was Men at Work, and the other one was My Blue Heaven. Gosh, I don't know why I remember that, I but I do. That's the most, next movie I want to talk about. But yeah. I want to say uh, one little gimmick about the bat part. When he flew out, all of a sudden he formed the Batman logo. Yeah, that was uh, great. Well, I love the special <laughs> effects sequence uh, with the flying bat. They're using a mixture of stop motion and puppetry, and Mr. Futterman has a much bigger role in this one than he did in the last. And I think he's a good oh, gosh. Foil. Especially since he's yeah, still no, kind he's of crazed by it. He's like, oh, you can't. <laughs> exactly, yeah. He was traumatized by it. But then he overcame his fear and became the unsung hero. Yeah. The uh, oh, I think man. I think uh, Zach Galligan gets a, a bad rap. I don't know why. I think he's really good in the Gremlins movies. I never understood why he never really got a career after this. It's just direct-to-video stuff. No, no, it's a shame. Yeah, I've never seen him in anything else other than... Yeah, those two movies. Yeah, he's in a good one between the two gremlins called Waxworks, which uh, he and his college friends get invited to a new wax museum, and uh, David Warner's the villain, and he uh, has this thing set up where if you go across the ropes that are marking off the wax scene, I guess if you want to call it, you get sucked into the scene. So it's like being in a horror movie. So all of a sudden you're looking at the wax museum of the werewolf, you get shoved in or whatever, now you're fighting werewolves. And he requires so many sacrifices to replace the wax figures that they'll come into our world and he can reign chaos, you know, his own monster apocalypse. That is a trip. That yeah. is most definitely a trip. It's good. It's good. Uh, I think it's free on Voodoo. Um, yeah, I just I think it's so much crazier, so much more expensive. And they tried for years to get a sequel to this. Uh, but Joe Dante just wasn't interested. And Spielberg was like, you got to really bring a fresh idea. And then by 1990, Warner Brothers was so desperate, they just said, Joe Dante, here, here's a check. Do whatever you want. Now go make the movie for God's sakes. We waited so long. And I think it was just too long. I think people by then were like, look, there's been 80 ripoffs of Gremlins by now. And there's other things to see this summer. Mm, probably, but... I like how uh, the sketch show uh, Key and Peele did oh. like uh, what, what, yeah they did like the what uh, like all their pitching ideas like 
Let's come up with some new ideas. What kind of grimace could we see? And everybody pitches an idea. And it's like, it's not only going to be in the movie, it's going to be in the movie. And then, like, the main head of the table, like, during this whole talk, he's like, none of those ideas are going to be in the movie. And then it stops, and the caption says, yes, all those were in the movie. <laughs> Such a fun movie. Um, it is. I love it. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad it found its audience. Now, sadly, the next two movies have never really found their audience. No one ever talks about them, but I think they're very enjoyable films. Uh, My Blue Heaven, which we were discussing earlier uh, briefly, um, was a flop. $22 million, I mean, that's not a horrible flop, but I think they had more expectations, especially since Rick Moranis and Steve Martin were coming off of two huge hits. You know, we have Parenthood and Honey, I Shrugged the Kids uh, being the two biggest ones around that time, and that's kind of a dud for those two guys. And it's coming from Nora Ephron, who had uh, just done uh, When Harry Met Sally. Yes. Oh wow! Yeah, no. Now that you mentioned, now that you mentioned that, I, that's where I recognized it from. Yeah, the competition wasn't I've... fierce. It wasn't. It just for whatever reason, it didn't connect. Maybe it's because Steve Martin is playing such a character instead of himself, which I think people had become accustomed to. And he's got that crazy wig. He's got the silly accent. He's really fucking crazy confident. He's a good dancer. <laughs> 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 oh god yes oh my that dancing scene which he Rick Moranis where he smacks Rick Moranis ass <laughs> how the hell could Rick Moranis like keep a straight face you can tell he's like smiling and trying not to burst yeah, laugh yeah. the whole time <laughs> uh, we god. have Joan Cusack um, Melly Mayron from uh, uh, 30-something I'm trying to remember who else is this oh uh, um, Carol Kane has a brief cameo there's a lot of cameos in this mm. actually Daniel Stern had a cameo um, yes I feel like there's a couple others in here, but I think it's just a lot of Steve Martin. People love him, and they they'll be glad to work with him for just a day or two. Oh gosh, uh, man! And I just love how he acted, uh, Steve Martin, like throughout this film. Like you know, he's still like doing his like mob stuff. Like even though he's supposed to be under witness protection, yeah. <laughs> he's still like. You know, having paying people money, you know, go, trying to go out to these restaurants and stuff. Well, and, the simple fact of the first yeah. time he walks into that grocery, by the way, I've been in that grocery store. I didn't realize this was shot in San Luis Obispo. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a, that's a grocery store that's across the street from the Target I worked at. And uh, he walks in oh. and he grabs that sticker gun. It's like 79 cents, 79 cents. Or no, it's 39 cents for a steak. And nobody stops to think that's kind of odd. 39 cents, 39 cents, 39 cents. <laughs> $12 for 80 steaks or something like that. <laughs> oh, no, that'd be, well, that'd be something that fucking love steak. <laughs> <laughs> that guy goes, have a nice day. He goes, fuck you. <laughs> I think the trailer was up oh. yours, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I just—it's so much fun, and the fact that he's always working, he's always working some angle. He's a fast talker, and everybody just kind of—he eventually wears them all down. Right? No. Oh God! Especially with uh, Rick Moranis, who's like you know the federal officer overseeing it, and of course his point of view—you know—he's always like you know dedicated to the job. His girlfriend leads him for a younger guy, and. That relationship dynamic, uh, especially between him and Joan Cusack. Yeah. <laughs> and, I forget, was she a prosecuting attorney? Yeah, she was the DA. Or a defense yeah, attorney. She was the DA. I think I lost you, buddy. So, yeah, so she's a district attorney. Okay. She's working the case, whatever. And, and it's a small, boring ass town where nothing happens. And so she's desperate for some sort of big 
you know, something, you know, and she really wants to put him away, but he can't because he's got immunity basically because of his federal witness. <laughs> oh, but yeah, no, but he just pretty much is raising hell for her. Yeah, she finds him attractive. Oh, no. Then there's that one cop who just goes head over heels for Steve Martin. Yeah. Every chance she gets. It's like, oh, my God. He's a, t- he's a big time crime, crime boss. But he's so damn charming. <laughs> I know. He's a sweetheart. At the end of the day, he becomes a sweetheart. Yeah. Like, all that money he was actually uh, developing, they thought he was laundering it or something, but no, he was actually making a ballpark. Yeah, but the funny thing is and that he... was just another business opportunity. They were like, sell his books, sell the shirts, sell the stuff for extra money, and then they're bribing people to win the game, so it never really ends. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, mama. Mama. You can't let my mama see me with this. You know, so <laughs> and he's like, and they keep like, just, uh, they keep calling to each other from a distance. And Rick Moranis is like in tears. Like, yeah, sure, I'll let you go. And he disappears. Oh. I know, seriously. And they're all like kind of holding him off. Like, you you tricky bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think uh. that one's very underrated. For the longest time, Warner Brothers didn't give a shit about this movie. And it was only available in full screen. But thankfully, it's now available in wide. Uh, like it was originally uh, released in theaters. Oh wow! Yeah, no, definitely. They did that um, to a lot I of still, movies. I... They did that to like Spies Like Us, Funny Farm, uh, this movie, and of course our last movie is another movie they neglected. Uh, Warner Brothers had a very tough summer of 1990. All three big movies flopped. So Gremlins two, My Blue Heaven, and Quick Change was the last movie of the summer, and I think this is the best of the bunch. Uh, structurally, I mean, I love the craziness and inventiveness of Gremlins 2, but I think the structure uh, of Quick Change is so fucking good, and I can't believe nobody ever talks about this movie. I know, I'm surprised. And two, uh, it being a Bill Murray movie, uh, didn't he direct this one as well? He co-directed it, and I think this is before the rules changed, where you could not have two directors separately. They had to, they had to be a team. Um, but Howard Franklin directs mm. this with him, and Howard Franklin would later direct uh, The Man Who Knew Too Little, another Bill Murray movie that flopped. Um, I think it's very difficult to make a robber uh, likable, you know, because they're already committing a crime. And somehow they make all three of these people, Gina Davis, Randy Quaid, and Bill Murray, so lovable. And you are so with them for their struggle just to get out of the fucking city. (laughs) That's it. That's the whole movie. It's just they rob a bank (laughs) They have it made in the shade, but one mistake because of some construction happens. They don't know how to get off at the proper exit and get to the airport. That's it. That's the whole movie. <laughs> and they have Jason Robards and his team hunting him down the whole time. Oh God, yes, I know. And then they end up like trying. They they end up like trying to take a bus, and they say like, "This is the closest you can get to the airport," and it just takes them to another neighborhood it's like god what were they going through uh, brooklyn or the bronx i can't remember yeah well i mean along the way they they uh their car gets uh uh, pushed away by firemen because they parked in front of a fire hydrant they're held captive by phil hartman and his wife because they think they're robbing the place uh they get a a taxi cab with tony shalhoub who has no idea what they're saying or where they're going randy quaid gets in an accident because he's panicking and he runs out and then they end up in a mobster's uh hideout where they have to pretend to be um, uh, pickup guys for the money or whatever. And did you notice? Um, so Tony Shalhoub was the taxi driver. Why can't I remember the name of the guy? Uh, uh, Stanley Tucci was the mobster guy. So young. Oh my god! I know. I just realized that. Like uh, looking back, I'm like, damn. 
Yeah, Stanley Tucci was just like such an idiot <laughs> mobster guy. He just kept repeating everything the other guy said, even though he's five <laughs> feet away. <laughs> uh, uh, and then, no, and then yeah, they, they get on the bus, but then they, they can't get on the bus because they don't have a proper amount of money. So now they have to sneak into the scene where he's in that convenience store and the lady's buying 80 things. The cops are behind them. Tony Schlub's in front of them. The mobsters are just about to realize what's going on. Is one of the most tension-filled things I've ever seen, and it's in a comedy. <laughs> I know, seriously. <laughs> it's like, hurry up, get the chase, get on the damn bus. Oh, <laughs> and, my God. Randy Quaid, though, as a nervous wreck. Oh, jeez. Oh, and he's basically like a big boy. He's just a panicky baby. But I was like, dear God, anybody, please give us a cab. God in heaven. <laughs> and then it's like, and then all of a sudden he just shows up. He's like, thank you. <laughs> but then there's the whole thing with they're finally getting pinned down at the airport. And there's... I, I was trying to figure out why it is that they would get um, uh, Kurtwood Smith. Thank you, Kurtwood Smith. I almost said Patrick Kilpatrick, but that's a totally different villain guy. Kurtwood Smith <laughs> for that one line, and I was like, he, he was established by this point. He was the bad guy in RoboCop. Why'd they only get him for one line? Maybe he's friends with Bill Murray, and then all of a sudden it turns to this whole other things. I'm not going to spoil it for you too, but his role is much bigger than you think it is. But it's just a, the building, the building, a building of unescapability to get out of this city is so funny to me I know with a shitload of money on their trail and then oh god the, <laughs> like the again that opening bank robbery robbing scene though uh god just Bill Murray just as the clown <laughs> the security guard just lets it lets it all happen and then when he's telling his story he's acting like he put up a fight <laughs> yeah the oh yeah that was that's a Chris Elliott's dad Bob Elliott Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and I guess he was friends with the family because later Chris would show up in Groundhog Day. Oh, okay. And uh, Dang, I did not know that. And he was also, uh, Chris Elliott was also on SNL for a while, too. Right. And he was in Kingpin with Bill Murray. Uh, God, I can't wait for 96. I've been thinking about Kingpin for like weeks now. I can't wait, but it's so far off. Um, I can't remember what the last four films of 1990 we're going to discuss. I know Ghost is one of them. I have a list around here somewhere, but I misplaced it. But we have four more movies to go left in this year, and that'll be the end of 1990, and then we can move on to 1991, one of the greatest years ever for cinema. I can't wait to talk about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. It's one of my favorites. And Rocketeer. Uh, oh my gosh, it's, the list is long. Um, so that is it for us here. And Jacob, do you want to say anything before we go? Um, yeah, no, if anything, I would have to say uh, Gremlins 2 definitely deserves another rewatch. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I, I, they, they ah. talked for years about a Gremlins 3, and I guess there's some, I think there's some animated show on HBO Max or something they're working on. I'm not sure. I've heard rumors. Uh, the fact yeah. that we have four critters, <laughs> no, five critters and a miniseries, uh, and we only have two Gremlins is sad. Yeah, absolutely. I'm surprised there's never been a Gremlins cartoon. That seems very... It seems so obvious to me. I mean, if they're gonna make a Rambo cartoon, they could make. They should have made a Gremlins cartoon. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I know they did. They, they did Attack of the Killer Tomatoes cartoon. That's Come true. On. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So that is it. Check us out on uh, all your podcast hosts on Facebook, on Twitter under Hit Rewind Podcast, and that is it for tonight. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Namaste and good luck. And party on, dudes. <laughs>